Welcome back, friends. We're glad that you have joined us for part two of our Bible Lab series. And we want to begin today with just a review of where we've been. If you remember, we started last week in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 9, and we're actually going to stay right there in that text uh, for this week and for next week yet as we answer the questions, what do I see, what does it mean, and how do I use it? So last week we answered the question, what do I see? It's a question that relates to observation. This week we're actually going to be answering the question, what does it mean? And that's a question that's related to interpretation. And next week we're going to answer the question, how do I use it? And that's a question that's related to application. Before we begin our study, let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you for gathering us around your word. Thank you that it's powerful, that it's active, that it's living, that it can transform our hearts and minds. We pray today that you would guide and direct our time together as we look to find meaning and understanding in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 9. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, just as way of review for what we're doing here, we're really taking a basic method of Bible study and breaking it down uh, and applying it to the passage that we're looking at. And when we approach a text of Scripture, we are looking to make observations. You can see here uh, at the bottom, we're looking to uh, make interpretation. There's one proper interpretation for every given passage. There's many observations, and there's many applications, but there's only one correct interpretation. And on this side of heaven, we may not have that correct interpretation. We must be humble enough to admit that we could be wrong, but we still are called by the Lord to explore His Word and to find meaning in His Word, and we trust that the Spirit is working through our study and guiding us and leading us into truth. And so this is what we're doing, and you can see how the observations and interpretation feed the application, but the application is also evidence that we have done a good job when we know how to apply a text. We've done a good job of interpreting a text. We've done a good job of making observations in a text. And so... Just as a review, here are some of the observations that we made last week. We discovered that Abram was a man of the land. We saw that God both spoke and appeared to Abraham, even making promises with Abraham. There was the promise of land, uh, giving that land to Abraham's seed or offspring, and of course the repetition of blessing in the beginning of the passage we saw that there was a dilemma. If you remember that there were people, the Canaanites, were dwelling in the promised land. Uh, but Abram obeyed, and he obeyed and worshipped, called upon the name of the Lord, and journeyed on to southern Canaan. So that's just a review of what we explored last week. Perhaps you made a lot more observations. And remember, I would encourage you to print a copy of the passage out on a piece of paper and have it with you as we work through this together. Now this week we're going to be asking the question, what does it mean? And when we ask that question, really there's three kind of sub-questions that help us uh, explore the question of what does it mean. And the first is, 
who wrote it. When we know who wrote the passage uh, or who the commonly accepted author is for the passage, it helps us understand meaning. Why did they write? What was the occasion or the purpose for their writing? And then finally, who were they writing to? And we're going to answer these three questions before we dive in today. And so commonly accepted for the book of Genesis and really the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the author is commonly accepted as Moses. And the question of why did Moses write? Well, there's a lot of different reasons why the Pentateuch was written, why the first five books of the Old Testament were written, but we're looking specifically at why he may have written Genesis 12, 1 through 9 today. And really, we have to think about the context of where the Israelites were uh, during the time that Moses was writing or recounting these things to them. Uh, they were not yet in the land of promise. So the Israelites were in the wilderness. Israelites in the wilderness. And we'll unpack that a little bit further as we get into our text. And then finally, who was he writing to? Well, he was writing to the Israelites, who were not yet a nation, but had been rescued uh, from their captivity in Egypt. So let's dive into our passage. And before we do, I want to share a resource with you. If you're not using Blue Letter Bible yet in your Bible studies, Blue Letter Bible is a fabulous tool, one that's definitely worth a look. That's blueletterbible.com. And you can download the app or you can go right to your desktop and access it. And there's a lot of great tools that are in Blue Letter Bible. And I'll just give you an example of, of how powerful this app is. And this is a free app. It's a free tool online. Uh, if I click here in verse 3, it comes up with all of these different things that I can do with the text. And one of the things here that I want to do is I want to look at the concordance. Now look at all of this information. We get the original Hebrew uh, right here at the top of the screen. And then as you scroll down, you have the individual words and phrases. You can click and look at the concordance reference for them. You can find out where else they have been used in the Bible. For instance, if we wanted to explore this term uh, curse, we could hit this um, we could hit this line right here and it could show us all the different ways that that word is used in the Old Testament. So great tool, blueletterbible.com, something you definitely want to take advantage of. So we dive in today to our text, and again, I would encourage you to pause me at this point and read the first nine verses of Genesis 12, and then we will work down through and explore the meaning. All right, so as we continue down in our text, I did a little bit of extra highlighting this week. If you remember last week, one of our observations was that Abram was a man of the land, and we highlighted uh, some of the terms for land in green, like Haran uh, is, is here in green, land of Canaan is right here. What I did this week, because this is such a prominent theme in these first nine verses, 
is I went through and I highlighted in green all of the words that are attached to land uh, in the first nine verses of Genesis. And you can see these uh, really uh, prevalent in a lot of places here. You know, you have country. You have, in verse 1, house. A house is connected to the land. You have uh, nation. Nation and lands are connected. The earth here at the bottom. Then you continue and look in the second section of verses, and you can see all of those words, again, connected with land. You see the word land over and over and over again. And then in the final few verses, you have the word altar, and altar is connected to the land. You have that in two different places, and you have the word tent, uh, which is also something that is connected to the land. And so really, it reinforces this idea that Abram is a man of the land. But then if you remember... One of the other things that we had kind of highlighted and made note of last week, but we'll just quickly highlight again, is this idea of what the Lord is doing. What the Lord is doing. And this is so important, these places where you see all the things the Lord is saying that He is going to do. Five different places there in the first few verses. And why that's important is because it's deeply connected to the meaning of this text. And so let's remember, as these Israelites are wandering in the desert or in the wilderness, they had been rescued from Egypt. Now, the reality in Egypt was that the Egyptians served many gods. So the Egyptians were actually polytheistic. And Yahweh the covenant-keeping God, the Lord. He is the one true living God. And one of the primary focuses of meaning in these nine verses is that Yahweh is different. Yahweh is different. We're going to make a new page here to record some of the interpretation, some of the meaning in this text. And we want to, we want to just write that down. Yahweh is different. He's not like the gods that the Egyptians served. His ways were better. And you know what's interesting in the text is that his ways are really different than the ways of man. Because when you look at what he's doing, there's this word that's so massively important go. He's calling Abram to go. Now, Abram's 75 years old, and he lives in this place where his security and his identity and his comfort all lies. And yet, the Lord is calling him away from all of that, and he's calling him to this new land. This obscure land, one that God was going to reveal to him as he went. And so Yahweh is different, and his ways are not like the ways of the many Egyptian gods that the people were influenced by while they were in slavery in Egypt. And there's a few things that we see just in these first three verses, and one of those is that Yahweh, he comes. He 
he comes to his people. He comes to Abram. And he doesn't just come, but he speaks. He speaks to his people. He calls his people. He, he makes promises. God makes promises to his people. This is something different than the Egyptian gods and what the Egyptians would have known. Uh, he guides. He gives direction. He gives direction to his people. He blesses. He blesses his people. And really, he blesses them um, just through his own nature. But he also blesses his people through other people. God is going to use Abram to bless the nations of the world. This is a concept that would have been brand new. Uh, a God, the one true living God, using a person, Abram, to bless the nations of the world. And so as the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, remember one of the things that they're doing often that we see in, in some of the Old Testament, early Old Testament books is they're complaining. Abram, what have you done? Why have you, or Moses, what have you done? Why have you rescued us from this uh, Egyptian pharaoh? We were fed there. We were protected there. And now we're out in the wilderness. What is God doing? What is this all about? And Moses is saying, our God is good. He comes to his people. He speaks to his people. He cares for his people. He guides and directs his people. But there's something else that he does. He protects his people. This word here that's used kind of as a contrast. He protects his people. And God was going to curse those who dishonored Abram. And through Abram, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so we learn a lot about the meaning of this text in it finding that it's wrapped up in the nature of God and who he is and who he works and how he works. But there's something else, and it's in these final few verses. Or the Lord calls Abram. Abram goes. He goes. He leaves everything. He goes just as the Lord had told him to. Right here. Isn't this amazing? We can go up here and highlight this. As the Lord had told him, Abram went. And he didn't leave anything behind. I mean, look at what he does. He, he, he takes Sarai, his wife. He takes Lot, his brother's son. He takes all of the possessions that they had gathered, all of the people that they had acquired, and they set out to go. Abram's responding in obedience. And so as these Israelites are wandering around this wilderness and Moses is trying to lead them and guide them and direct them, he's telling them, Yahweh is faithful. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. He provided a son to Abram. Abram was 75 years old and God came through on his promise. 
And the second part of the meaning here is wrapped up in our response. And I can almost see Moses gathering the leaders in his tent as the people are outside complaining and throwing a fit and saying, look, guys, we need to respond to the Lord in the same manner that Abram did. Abram didn't know the land to where God was calling him to. He didn't have all of the answers to the questions in his mind, all of the what ifs that plagued him and what was going to happen as he traveled and journeyed. And certainly Abram ran into obstacles, as we'll see in future studies. But the idea was that when God called, Abram responded in obedience. He went and he responded in worship. Build an altar. Pitched his tent. Build an altar. Called upon the name of the Lord. And so really as we're looking at meaning in this text, we're seeing that Yahweh, the Lord, the covenant-keeping God is different. He's different than the polytheistic multiple gods that the Egyptians served. But we're also seeing that our response response to God should be a response of obedience, doing what God calls us to do, even when we don't have all of the answers to the questions that we may have, and worship. As we go, as the Lord works, as he makes promises to us, we need to worship. And so friends, we hope that this has helped you uh, find some meaning in these nine verses. We have one more week together in these nine verses. Next week, we're going to be answering the question, how do I use it? And really, you can see already how our interpretation has led us into the answer uh, to uh, that question of how do we use it. And we look forward to joining with you again next week to answer that final question of Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Have a great afternoon.